Let's grab a seat tonight and um, turn with me in your Bibles to uh, Jeremiah chapter 20. So we're journeying through um, the prophet of Jeremiah, and tonight we find ourselves at chapter 20 in the book of Jeremiah. And this is, it's really, really interesting just to see and to take a step back, and I know that it's something that Tim talks about all the time, is connecting the dots between what's going on if you look back at the kings and, and the state of the nation at that time, and, and then the prophets, and see which prophets are um, prophesying all during together. Um, but I always encourage you to go and to do that, and we've, I'm sure that Tim has been giving you the context and the background for that. But tonight, in chapter 20, we find ourselves... Um, right at the end, it, this is kind of a transition chapter. So uh, Jeremiah, it's broken up into a lot of different time periods, and it jumps back and forth between different kings and when he's prophesying after this. Um, but right now, Jehokachin is king, and this is the last chapter where we're going to go through where he is king before he passes off the scene. And if you want background to see what his life was like and what um, his kingdom, what the kingdom was like during his rule and reign, you can go and read in 2 Kings 24. So if you're a note taker, go back and it's only about 10 verses, the the section there on on King Jehoiachin, and it's 2 Kings 24. But nevertheless, You know that Jeremiah is prophesying to the kingdom of Judah, which is the southern two kingdoms. Remember that it's divided um, into the northern kingdoms, the ten northern tribes, and the two southern tribes. So Jeremiah was a prophet sent by the Lord to the two southern tribes. And this is, he's the prophet that's prophesying right now in chapter 20. It's before Judah was carried away by um, the Babylonians. And so we we see that later in the book of Jeremiah when they're actually carried away. But at this point in time, they haven't yet been taken captive by the Babylonians. But Jeremiah's prophesying about the impending judgment, God's judgment upon his people. And I like how um, one pastor summarizes it. He says that that Israel, Judah, God's people as, as a whole, both the northern and the southern kingdoms, had given themselves over to idolatry, completely given themselves over. And God says, and, and what God does in response is gives, gives them over into the desires of their own heart until they were absolutely sick of it when they're carried away in Babylon. And you know it's interesting that after, after their Babylonian captivity, that they never re- fell into idolatry again. Isn't that interesting? So God's warning his people. They're not heeding. Um, they didn't heed for all those years, and, and he, uh, he's using Jeremiah to tell them that judgment is coming. So this chapter can be broken up into two sections, two sections here. So verses 1 through 6, we see that it's God's word to pasture, God's word to pasture through the prophet of Jeremiah. That's the first half of the chapter. And then the second half, or, or the second section that, you can, that we see here in chapter 20, are verses 7 through 18, where we see the dark days of Jeremiah. <laughs> the dark days of Jeremiah. And just even as we were um, worshiping and, and on the way down here and looking outside, it's, it's uh, interesting the context of it. I could probably say that um, since summer has happened, this is the darkest day of the year from summer on because we know that winter's coming, right? Tomorrow will be darker than today. But we're entering the dark days of 2021, aren't we? 
And so we're going to look at Jeremiah in, in his dark days of despair and, and see what the Lord has for us. But let's pick it up first. Let's, we'll go verses 1 through 6 where we see God's word to Pasher. So read along with me. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 20, we'll start in verse 1. And we see, Now Pasher, the son of Emar, the priest, who was also chief governor in the house of the Lord, heard that Jeremiah prophesied these things. So taking a step back, and, and you're going to want to note this again if you're a note taker, if you're following along, along but Pasher, there's going to be several um, prophets or several, excuse me, priests who are named um, Pasher. So we can distinguish this one. You see that this is the son of Emar. But Pasher, we learn, is an assistant to the high priest. And, and when it says there that he was also chief governor in the house of the Lord, what that means is that he was most likely um, the chief security officer in the temple. So if there's anything, anybody's prophesying um, anything false, if there's any disturbances, if there's any issues, they would send um, Pasher to go take care of it. So that was his role. Later on in the chapter, in verse 6, you can glance down there, but we see that Pasher, although he was in the priestly position, although he was in the ministry, he prophesied lies. And that was one of the problems um, that during Jeremiah's day, right? Jeremiah was prophesying the truth of God's word, but then there were these false prophets that we'll look at a little bit later. And these false prophets were saying, don't listen to Jeremiah. There's peace. There's not impending judgment. They didn't want to talk about sin of the judgment of God. But, but I think it's important to take note of that, um, that even just because, right, you're in the ministry, just because you're in the flow of church, just because you're going um, to church, I always want to be careful. Am I sharing God's truth? Am I sharing the truth that's in the Bible? Because it's so tempting, just being honest, to want to say what's popular, what won't offend. But God calls us to share his truth. And Pasher was a, a false, um, pro- not a false prophet. Well, I guess you could say because he prophesied lies, a false prophet. But he was misrepresenting God and, and how um, dangerous that is. But look at this in verse 1. It says that he heard Jeremiah prophesied these things. These things. So the question we have to ask ourselves then are what are these things? So if you just look at chapter back in particular, he's referring to in chapter 19 and verses 6 through 9, you see what Jeremiah was saying there, that he, he said that um, Israel will be called the valley of slaughter, that their, God will void their counsel or their plans, you notice there that he also says that they will fall by the sword, that those who pass by Israel will be astonished, that there will be a siege so bad that the people will turn to cannibalism. They'll, they'll start eating each other. In verses 10 through 13, he, he goes on to say that the city will be broken. And then in verse 15, he says that God will bring judgment because his people refuse to listen to the Lord's call to forsake their idols and turn to him. So Pasher, these things that he heard Jeremiah um, prophesy are God's judgment that we read in chapter 19. So, okay, take a step back. Look at the context. Who is Pasher? The chief security officer, right? Someone's coming in, sharing, sharing from Pasher's perspective. 
the judgment of God. He doesn't like those things. So look what he does. Verse 2, it says, Then Pasher struck Jeremiah the prophet, and he put him in the stocks that were in the high gate of Benjamin, which was by the house of the Lord. So we see there, verse 2, in response as the chief security officer, he takes um, Jeremiah and he beats him and he imprisons him. And we see that this is how God's prophet is treated. This is the, the, the response of a, people, of a people in rebellion to God because they didn't like the truth of God's word. And so, too, think about this. Jeremiah being, a, a, we know, a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ, who, too, as he shared the truth, right, was rejected by his people. That were, was beaten. And that was taken, arrested. So all of this Jeremiah happening, or all this happening to Jeremiah also would happen to Christ. But we, t- too, as we mentioned on Sunday, if you were with us, don't be surprised that when you share the truth of God's word, when you're rejected, when you share the truth of God's word in love, that the world or people, maybe your family, your coworkers, they reject you. They might not beat you up physically yet, and that might be coming, but maybe they beat you up with their words, right? It can happen. See, and, and note too, and this is a good warning for each of us, Pasher didn't believe the word of God personally, right? So he said that, the word of God to the nation couldn't be true. Isn't that interesting? If it was true to him, then he would have said, yes, it would have been true what Jeremiah was saying to the nation. And so too, is God's word true to me? Do I take it for what he says it and leave it at that? So here's, look at verse three, and it says, on the next day, excuse me, it happened on the next day, that Pasher brought Jeremiah out of the stocks so he took him out of prison. Then Jeremiah said to him, The Lord has not called your name Pasher, but Magor Misbib. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will make you a terror to yourself and to all your friends, and they shall fall by the sword of their enemies, and all your eyes shall see it. I will give all Judah into the hand of the king of Babylon, when he shall carry them captive to Babylon and slay them with a sword. Verse 5, moreover, I will deliver all the wealth of this city, all of its produce, and all its precious things, all the treasures of the kings of Judah, I will give into the hand of their enemies, who will plunder them, seize them, and carry them to Babylon. And you, pastor, and all who dwell in your house shall go into captivity You shall go to Babylon, and there you shall die, and be buried there, you and all your friends to whom you have prophesied lies. So now we see, this is, remember we we said that this section represents, or we we were looking at God's word to Pasher, and there we see that Jeremiah is giving God's word, or God's judgment to Pasher. So when Jeremiah is released to prison, can you imagine this? The next day, he goes straight to Pasher, and this is, or maybe it's right as he takes him out of prison. I don't know. This is his direct response, sharing the truth of God. And how tempting, if it was me, this is not the message that I'd want to say to the person that just let me out of prison 
and, and beat me previously, right, has the power to put me back into prison, hey, you're going to die and all your friends with you and all your family and all their riches are going to be carried away. But, but we keep seeing this recurring theme where Jeremiah in front of people is so emboldened and strengthened by the Lord to share the truth of God. Of course, yeah, we're going to look at it in the second half of the chapter tonight. In private and in his heart, he's dealing with really hard and difficult things, and and he's wrestling with the Lord. But when push comes to shove, Warren Wiersbe said it, and I'm not quoting this exactly. He says that Jeremiah was able um, able to, in spite of all of his mood swings, all of his ups and downs, he was able to lay that aside and always obey the word of God and obey God's call. And what a word for us. But we see here um, that the Lord in verse 3, he changes Pasher's name to Magor Misbib. So here's application point number one. If someone comes up to you and they say, my name is Magor Misbib, just run the other way. Just, I'm sorry. Hey, uh, go read Jeremiah 20. I I don't know that I want to hang out with you. No, I'm just kidding. But he changes his name. So Pasher actually means um, fruit fruitful on every side. So that's when, what people would say. Imagine that. It's like I was coming up to you if your name was um, Pasher, and I'd just say, hey, hey, fruitful on every side, right? That's what they would be known for. That, that's, that's what they wanted to be no, known for. But the word says, here's the truth. Although others are saying, and although in the world's perspective, you're fruitful on every side, the truth is that there's, rare, there's really terror on every side. He's saying this to a man who is powerful, who has a prominent position, who has authority, right? And yet, what the Lord's saying is the truth is that you're surrounded by terror. And isn't that a picture or a reminder for those outside of Christ? The world may say that you're fruitful on every side, you might be secure in your position or, or here in the world. But apart from Christ, at the end of the day, within that person's heart, they're surrounded by terror, aren't they? Because there's no peace. They're not at peace with God. And actually, in Psalm 73, verses 18 through 20, the Lord says this. He says, speaking of the wicked, he says, Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation, as in a moment. They are utterly consumed, check this out, with terrors. As a dream when one awakes, so, O Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. And that's what, it, that's what life, that's what reality apart from Christ is. Just being surrounded by terror. Of course, now that we're in Christ, now when you're in Christ, right, you give your life to him. It doesn't mean that, that we never become afraid. We, yeah, we are afraid. But we know that we're at, we can have a peace and we're at peace because we're no longer at war with God. And until we come to Christ and until you're found in Christ, that will always be the truth of our life. And so tonight, even if, if you're outside of Christ, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, the terror that's surrounding you is disseminated when the blood of Christ washes away our sins. 
and we're no longer at war with him. We can know that. But that Jeremiah and the Lord is saying through the prophet Jeremiah, Pastor, this is the reality for you. It doesn't matter what the world sees or what the world says, there's terror. And then we saw in verses four through six that Pasher's friends, those in his household, those who were close to him, would also be carried away with the Babylonians when they came and they took um, Israel, excuse me, Judah, the two kingdom, the two southern tribes of Judah, and carried them away to Babylon. And, and I like this. If you put a marker here, go to the left, and, and let's look at Jeremiah chapter 14, and, and uh, we're going to read verses 13 through 15 together. So Jeremiah 14, and let's start in verse 13. So we see here in, in what the Lord's saying through Jeremiah to Pasher directly, this is, this is in response to what the Lord said earlier. So in verse 13, he says, Then I said, Ah, oh Lord, behold, this is Jeremiah speaking, the prophets say to them, so this is what the false prophets are saying, like we mentioned, You shall not see the sword, nor shall you have famine, but I will give you assured peace in this place. So that's where the false prophets are saying, peace, peace, don't worry about that. But look at the Lord's response in verse 14. He says, And the Lord said to me, The prophets prophesy lies in my name. I have not sent them, commanded them, nor spoken to them. They prophesy to you a false vision, divination, a worthless thing, and the deceit of their heart. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who prophesy my name, whom I did not send, and who says, sword and famine shall not be in this land. By sword and famine, those prophets shall be consumed. So what Jeremiah is saying in chapter 20, directly to Pasher, it's a fulfillment of what the Lord said earlier to Jeremiah. When he was discouraged about the false prophets, God says that they'll be carried away, that they'll be consumed. And note this, it's encouraging to me, and it should encourage you too, that although there are those who reject the word of God, right? Pasher doesn't believe that God's judgment is coming upon Judah. He says this is, there's no way. They're misrepresenting God. Although people reject God and they say that his word won't come true, that doesn't stop God's word from coming true. Did you ever think about that? I can maybe reject a portion of the scripture, whatever it is, a person that you're sharing with can reject, not believe, say they don't believe, but that won't stop God's word. That should encourage you and should encourage me. And, and we actually see this fulfilled in 2 Kings 24, verses 8 through 16 there, where, where um, pastors is carried away as the king, Jehokachin, is also carried away by the Babylonians. Now, also, you might note in verse um, 5 there, it says at the end, and carry them to Babylon. And this is the first time in the book of Jeremiah where the invaders or those who, who um, God would use to bring judgment are mentioned by name. So previously, up until this time, um, the Lord always said that there would be invaders from the north that would come. But this is the first time that the Babylonians themselves are mentioned. So God's opening that up. He, he's revealing actually who he's going to use. So God's word to Pasher, and, and we see that we should um, be encouraged that we can stand for the Lord in spite of people rejecting God's word. Don't back down from sharing the truth of God's word and love. And be encouraged 
that God's word will come to pass even though men reject it. And so we go from this Jeremiah, we see him an emboldened prophet, an emboldened servant of God who's not afraid to go to the person who just beat him and imprisoned him and share a hard truth. But now in the second half of the chapter, we see Jeremiah in some of his darkest times in his darkest days. And I was so blessed studying through this, and, and I pray that you are too as we looked at it together. Because you know that there's times in our life, and, and maybe some of us even tonight, are going through the ups and downs, right? Where one moment, I, I'm yes for the Lord, and then I go home and, and at night in and, and, and the privacy of my room, right? It's just tears, and I'm in despair. And each of us, we have dark days that we deal with. Dark times of despair. And as we look at um, Jeremiah's prayer here, and, and as we see and we'll look at God's answer to Jeremiah, you're going to be encouraged by this, I promise. So what do we do with the dark days in our life? Well, kind of if you break down this second section here um, in verses 18 through, excuse me, 7 through 18, uh, you can break it into four different pieces. In verses 7 through 10, we can see Jeremiah's despair. So in 7 through 10, he's pouring out his heart to God, his despair. Is, it, we, we hear it directly. In verses um, 10 through 12, we see Jera, Jeremiah remembers God's word. In verse 13, we see that Jeremiah worships God. And finally, in verses 14 through 18, Jeremiah um, seemingly leaves us with an unanswered question. So uh, verses 7 through 10, Jeremiah's despair. 10 through 12, Jeremiah remembers God's word. Verse 13, Jeremiah worships God. And then in verse 14 through 18, the unanswered question of Jeremiah. So starting with verse 7, as we look at Jeremiah's despair, and so again, for the context is he's pouring out his heart to God. So this is a glimpse into Jeremiah's heart right? His, his privacy. What, what does his prayer look like to the Lord? This isn't him prophesying to, to an audience or to the nation at that time or to a person, but this is the raw heart of Jeremiah. I don't, I don't know, you know, was this, was this when he was in prison? Was this the night after he got out? I'm, I'm not sure. It doesn't tell us, but I don't know. You be, you, uh, you read it and, and uh, see what the Lord would show you concerning that. But anyways, a glimpse into Jeremiah's despair, verse 7. O Lord, you induced me, or, or literally enticed, or, or persuaded me, he says, and I was persuaded. You are stronger than I and have prevailed. I, in, in der- I am in derision daily. Everyone mocks me. For when I spoke, I, I cried out. I shouted violence and, and plunder. So that's speaking of, of when he would prophesy of, of God's impending judgment. Because the word of the Lord was made to me a reproach and a, de, a derision daily. Then I said, I will not mention, make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire, shut up in my bones, and I was weary of holding it back. And I could not, for I heard many mocking, fear on every side. Report, they say, and and, and we will report it. All of my acquaintances, all of his friends, 
watched for my stumbling, saying, perhaps he can be induced, and then we will prevail against him, and we will, re- we will take our revenge on him. And so, note this, in his darkest times, and in his despair, Jeremiah went to the Lord. He said, of course, he's praying, right? But it, don't take that for granted. Jeremiah went to the Lord. And that's significant because who or what you turn to in times of despair and, and, and hardships really shows what our God is or who our God is. Is it just uh, the Facebook endless feed just to get, deliver my mind from it? Is it work? Is it, is it trying to is it, uh, make people laugh so, so I can cover up the hurt so it just makes it feel better? For, whatever it may be. But who or what we turn to in difficult times reveals who or what our God is. And, and Jer- Jeremiah goes straight to the Lord. And that's what we should do. Number one, seems elementary in our darkest days of despair. But we see here that as Jeremiah is pouring out his heart to God, it seems like he accuses God of, of um, being forced or persuaded into the ministry, into this call. And it's almost like he's saying, Lord, you forced me to, to, to do this. You've asked me. I didn't really have a choice. You persuaded and enticed me. And, and I, you know, the way that I was reading it, it seems like Jeremiah's almost blaming God now because God called him to this. It's God's fault that he's in this position, right? That I'm being beaten. That I'm being mocked. But the Lord was honest about Jeremiah's call from the get-go. He said, and we'll look at it earlier, that he would protect Jeremiah. God did not deceive Jeremiah in his call. And know that God will not deceive you, number one. God will not deceive you. God cannot lie. He will never deceive you. My heart will deceive me. It's deceptively wicked, remember that? But God will not deceive him. And he cannot deceive us. We, we can note, too, that, that Jeremiah, the hardships that he's going through, and we mentioned this earlier, is a result of obeying the Lord. And know this, that obedience may lead to difficulty. Obeying God may lead to difficulty. Remember that when Jesus said to his disciples, he, he, he told them to get into the boat and to sail to the other side of the sea, and they got into the boat, and what happened when they were like halfway through? Remember there's a horrible tempest, a storm arose, and they're like, like what are we going to do? We're all going to die. And, and yet they didn't know that Jesus was on the mountain praying for them in the meantime. They were in the storm because they were obedient to God. Jeremiah was in the position that he was in, in prison, in hardships, and being mocked because he obeyed God. And so obedience may lead to difficulties, but note this, that obedience leads to um, blessedness. Well, how do I know that? Well, you know it too. You, can, uh, you don't have to turn there if you want to. It's John 17, or excuse me, John 13, verse 17. Jesus says there, he says there in, in John 13, 17, he said, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So there's a blessedness in obedience. Of course, that, that the obedience may lead to difficulty, but we will still experience the blessedness of obeying God. And it's worth it, isn't it? 
And we'll see that as, as, we, as we break this down a little bit more. But in verse 8, Jeremiah says that um, by, because of, that he, share, he was sharing the word of God, these, these truths, that he was in reproach or derision. And, and like literally what that means is that he, Jeremiah became a household joke. Everybody was, he was the talk of the town. Everybody was just making fun of him, calling him a fool. In verse 9, he determined because of all this that he won't speak of God's word anymore. He won't make any mention of God. This is the prophet, God's prophet. Can you believe he's saying that? He's hurting. And, and he says, I won't share God's word because it is God's word that had put me in this situation. And we can come to that decision point in our life too, right? Where we say, Lord, well, because I started to follow you, I gave my life to you, I gave up whatever it may be. Look at my life now. <laughs> what have you done? I'm going to forget this and turn back. But Jeremiah said at that point, e- even in, in this deep despair, see, it was the word of God, he says, that his heart was burning like a fire. And, and that literally can be, can be translated combusting into a fire that is consuming now. And just think about this. I, I just imagine that picture, right, of God's word just within his heart. And what was, what was it con, um, consuming away? You know, I can't help but think that the word of God that has been hidden in Jeremiah's heart started to consume away all the lies and all the doubts that were there. It's not that the lies and the doubts don't come, but God's word consumes them, doesn't it? And think about that. For us, do you, know, do you remember um, <laughs> that when Jesus, after he rose again in Luke 24, 32, it says that when he and two, two of these guys were on the road to Emmaus, that they were walking along and they had no idea that Jesus appeared and he was walking with them. And Jesus started to give them the best commentary on the Old Testament ever. He said from, from Moses through all the prophets that he, he showed them how it spoke of Jesus, of himself. They didn't realize that, of the Messiah. Because they were, they were in despair, right? They said the Messiah, he just died. And it says that, that um, they didn't know and then all of, a, all of a sudden, right, Jesus, he um, vanishes from their presence and, and they realized that it was Christ that, who was walking with them, actually talking and showing them of himself. And it says that they, they say to themselves, and in, in, there in Luke uh, 24, 32, didn't our hearts burn like fire when he talked with us on the road? See, as we look back into the word of God and, and we look for Jesus in the Old Testament, as we see him revealed in the New Testament, the hurts and the doubts, the, the, the dark times of despair, all of that, the doubts burn away as we look to our Savior. And so we're to be in the word of God in our times of despair. Although my flesh wants to run the complete opposite and it says it's the word of God that has put me in this situation, it's the word of God that I need. And it doesn't mean that I'm gonna feel like reading my Bible because I don't, right? We don't in those times. But we have to obey the truth, not our feelings. And the feelings will follow. So we see that as Jer- we see what an encouragement as Jeremiah pours out, he goes to the Lord and, and God begins to do this deep work in his heart in his darkest times. And why do I think that it was the word of God that was that fire in him, in his heart? Because look at now uh, with me 
at verse 11, it says, but the Lord is with me as a mighty, awesome one. See, everything starts to change at this point. But the Lord is with me. Jeremiah is reminded of God's truth that was given to him previously. Well, how do we know that? He finds comfort looking back and falling back on the promises of God. Verse 11 there where he says, but God is with me. See, to know that God is with you, that God is greater than any situation that we are in, any, any people that we're um, around, that God is with us. When the Lord is brought into that situation, when he's brought into a life or to a heart, see, it is God alone who's able to do that which we cannot. And that's where hope is found, isn't it? To know that God is with us. Back in Jeremiah chapter 1, uh, the Lord told Jeremiah this already. And this is why I, I believe that it's God's word that was burning in his heart. Or his promises, excuse me, um, that uh, the promise that the Lord gave to Jeremiah earlier. In verse 18, he says there in, in chapter 1, For behold, this is the Lord speaking, I have made you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, a bronze wall against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against its princes, against its priests, and against the whole people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. Check this out. Here's God's promise to Jeremiah. He says in verse 19, For I am with you, says the Lord, to deliver you. See, Jeremiah remembers God's promise that he would be with him. And so being reminded of that promise now as he's in despair, his heart begins to be delivered. Light begins to enter in. And so... When in despair, I need to be reminded and I need to remind myself of God's promises. And whatever that takes, be in the word. Write it on note cards. Just continually remind yourself of the promises of God. Because circumstances are poor communicators, aren't they? My circumstances don't always align with what the word of God says. But God's word stands alone in spite of my circumstances. And think about the comfort of knowing that God is with you. See, Joshua earlier, he also found comfort, that same truth, to know that God is with him. The Lord said, do not fear, I will, I will be with you, I will go before you. And so God's promise to us too, right? Jesus said that I will be with you always. He's given us the Holy Spirit to indwell us. And God's promise to be with us in difficult times doesn't necessarily mean instant deliverance or deliverance at all from the circumstance or the situation. But there's comfort to know that he's with you. And, and not only this, but did you catch, so in verse 11 he says, but the Lord is with me, right, as a mighty awesome one, therefore my persecutors will stumble and, I, and will not prevail they will be greatly shamed, for they will not prosper. Their everlasting confusion will, will never be forgotten. But, O oh Lord of hosts, check this out. Look what Jeremiah starts to do. You who test the righteous and see the mind and the heart, let me see your vengeance on them, for I have pleaded my cause before you. There Jeremiah reminds himself of the attributes of God. And knowing who God is, doesn't deliver him out of the circumstance, but allows him to soar above the circumstance. Do you see that? 
And it's not about who Jeremiah is, but he, he, he's turning to who God is. How do we see that? Well, a few of the attributes that God's, or excuse me, that Jeremiah says about God is that he was mighty, that he was awesome. We, we see that Jeremiah mentions how he is just or how he will judge, right? And then um, how he is omniscient, how God knows it. So Psalm 91, 14, you can write that if you're a note taker. There the Lord says, I will set him on high because he has known my name. If you're looking for a high, know the name of God. Speaking of his character, of his attributes. God says that as you learn, as you preach and you remind yourself of who I am, that you'll soar above the situation. And so we see that Jeremiah 0.2 here, that the second section um, in his day of despair, he begins to experience deliverance as he remembers God's word and he sees God's attributes as he's reminded of God's promises and, and we too are to do that. And then in verse 13, we see that Jeremiah worships God. So now he, he comes to this place and he says, sing to the Lord, sing praise to the Lord for he has delivered the life of the poor from the hand of the evildoers. And so this tells you and I that in the midst of our deepest and darkest despair that we can still worship and we still should worship God. See, the world says to worship God for what is in his hand, what we can get from him, right? But we're to worship God for who he is. Not for, because of our circumstance. Of course, God does bless our circumstances, right? Our situations. He does bless our life. But oh, how much better it is to worship him for who he is. And you, you see there in verse 13, he says, for he has delivered the life of the poor. And I can't think or help but think about how Jeremiah realizes that, that not only, yes, see, Jeremiah is still in um, the difficult time and, and the people are still rebelling against God and, and still mocking Jeremiah. But he says, Lord, you've delivered the life of the poor, right? I can't help, is Jeremiah thinking, men realizing that God has saved me? That I was spiritually bankrupt, as Matthew 5, 3 says, right? And, and, and two, in the midst of our dark days, you, even when our, our circumstances don't change, we can worship God because he saved you. And because you know where you're going for eternity. And I, it also reminds me of, right, of Paul and Silas as they were in prison, right? They worshiped God. And, and the whole prison shook and, and, and the, the um, jailer at that time, right, seeing this, because they didn't run from the circumstance. They stayed right there. They didn't flee. And, and um, the jailer and his whole family got saved through that. So even you worshiping God in your circumstance, although however, however difficult it is, it's a witness to others who may be imprisoned in themselves and they don't even realize it. So Jeremiah worships God, and we should worship God for, for the truth of who he is. And then finally, we, we, like Jeremiah's on this upward trend, right? He, he's ascending. He, he's, seem, he's seemingly being delivered um, from his dark days. But then we get to verse 14. And have you ever been like that, right? I, I'm struggling, Lord. It seems like, it seems like I'm, I'm starting to get some traction in, in whatever situation it is. Uh, just in the difficulty. And then we come to the verse 14 in our life where we say, 
Cursed be the day which I was born. No happy birthday for Jeremiah, is it? Cursed be the day in which I was born. Let the day not be blessed in which my mother bore me. Let the man be cursed who brought news to my father, saying a male child has been born to you, making him very glad. Let, verse 16, and let the men be like the cities which the Lord overthrew and did not relent. Let him hear the cry in the morning and the shouting at noon, because he did not kill me from the womb that my mother might have been my grave, and her womb always enlarged with me. And so here, Jeremiah's cursing the day which he was born. He was wishing he was never born, that, that the person who went and told his father that, that he had a son, that, that the messenger couldn't even take the message, that his um, coffin, his tomb, was, he, he died still when he was in the womb. Jeremiah never wants to kill himself. That's not what he's saying. But he's, he's saying, I wish I was never born, that I had to see these circumstances. And it's interesting because we too can, can like Jeremiah, seemingly so quickly slip back into despair. We're on that upward slope, and all of a sudden, man, we just, our, our feet are wiped out from under us. Derek Kinder says this. He says, together with other tortured cries from him and his fellow sufferers, these, and he calls it raw wounds of Scripture, Remain, lest we forget the sharpness of the age-long struggle or the frailty of the fineness overcomers. What, what is he saying there? He's saying, look, we have this tendency um, for, uh, right where we sit now to look back at the life of Jeremiah and say, that's a mighty man of God and he was and he is. But we say that I, I could never be like Jeremiah. But in showing us his raw wounds, the Lord is allowing us to see that he experiences the emotional ups and downs and, and, and just like you and I do. He's but a man, right? And the same truth, the same God who, who Jeremiah was relying on and looking to is the same God that you and I serve today. The same deliverance that he could experience this is the same deliverance that we experience. Know that. But did you check this out there? We, look at verse 18. This is so interesting. Jeremiah says, I wish I was never born. And then he gets to this. He says, why did I come forth from the womb to see labor and sorrow? Why would God allow me to be born just to be here? That my day should be consumed with shame. He felt ashamed. Did you ever feel like that? <laughs> just filled with shame and, and sorrow and difficulty? He ends with this question, and then uh, if, we're not going to move tonight into chapter 21, but it's seemingly unanswered. But you see, there are dark days for each of us, and, and, and the dark days leave each of us with questions, right? God doesn't always tell us why. God doesn't always give us the answer to the exact circumstance. But look what he does do. You see, this question goes back Jeremiah's questioning goes back to when he was born. Did you, did you notice that? He says, why did I come forth from the womb? He, he's going back um, to the day asking about when he was born, but he needed to go back further than that. You see, Philip Riken says this. He says, Jeremiah traced his trouble back to the womb, but he did not go far back enough. 
God could trace his promises before the womb. He had, en- he had a promise for Jeremiah's life since the beginning of time. And the prophet needed to be reminded that from all eternity, the Lord had set him apart for salvation and for ministry. You say, well, what do you mean? Where's, where is that? Uh, go back to chapter 1 and look in verse 5. Jeremiah thought he, <laughs> there's no answer. But he had forgotten his, God's word to him in chapter 1, verse 5, at the beginning of his um, earlier life, at the beginning of his call. Look what the Lord says there. He says in verse 5, Before I, what? <laughs> Formed you in the womb. God says, Jeremiah, before you were even born, look, this is the reality. He says, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you or I set you apart. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. And do you know that that same reality is for, true for you and f- for me today? Sure, you may not be um, called to be a prophet to the nation of Judah or America. <laughs> but do you know that before the foundations of the world, God had called you? that he chose you, that he knew you. Ephesians 1, 4 says this, just as he chose you in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. You might say, well, God, why, why would God even allow me to be born? Why would he bring me to this situation? God says, before you were even born, I chose you. Not for the circumstances of earth, but that you could be with me in e- for eternity. See, in our darkest days, we remember that before we were even born, that God has chosen us to save us, to redeem us back to him. Because it's before the foundations of the world that God set in motion his plan of salvation. And we know this is true because 1 Peter 1, verses 18 through 20 tells us this. Knowing that, bef- that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed, and check this out, Christ indeed was foreordained before the foundations of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. See, God's plan for salvation, even Christ, that he would be slain, that his blood would be shed for you and I, that we could be saved, was before the foundations of the world. You're not an afterthought. But again, you, okay, well, that doesn't help. I, I get that. I, I know that God chose me. I know that he loves me. I see this. But why am I still, I, I still struggle with the dark days that I'm in. Well, look at me, look with me, not at me. Look at Christ. Let's look at this one other parallel. We know that Jeremiah, right, is foreshadowing, and in, in, in even in the New Testament, um, when, when Jesus said, who do the prophets say that I am, right? They said Jeremiah because the weeping prophet and, Jer- and Jesus wept. But look at the parallel between Jeremiah and Jesus. Note this, that Jeremiah was in dark days because he prophesied to a nation that had rejected God, a, na- a nation that was in sin. And this sin had lo- left them in this darkness. And think about this, it is the sin maybe in our lives personally, that we're in darkness. Maybe it's a circumstance 
man, we fell into sin, we sinned, and, and, and this is a circumstance that we're in. But not only that, <laughs> simply we live in a, in a fallen world. We live in a world filled with sin. And the dark days that we experience, we just live in, in a, man, still the realm and the reign of sin. And that's the result of it, personally. But notice this. Remember as Jeremiah, as we started looking at the dark days of Jeremiah, he poured out his despair, his hurt to the Lord, but he found consolation in remembering that God was with him. He was comforting to, to look back and to say, but God is with me. And what's the hope in our dark days of despair? See, in Matthew 1, 23, the Lord says this. He says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And in our darkest days, in our despair, do you know that God sent his son from heaven to earth to come to you and to me to save us out of our darkest, to save us from the darkness that we're in, our sin that we were trapped, we could do nothing about, it is God with us, Emmanuel, Jesus Christ, who came to deli- deliver us. And, and, and then we looked at next how, how Jeremiah was comforted by God's attributes, right? He, he started to soar as Jeremiah reminded himself of who the Lord is. And see, as, as you look at the life of Christ, right? As Christ, we see there in his darkest days, remember that it, it was when he was on the cross, it, from noon to, to three o'clock, it says that darkness covered the land there. And it was because it was that time on the cross where God's attributes were seen, where his justice and his mercy were poured out, where, God, where Christ there was bearing our sin, the darkness that was from us upon himself. And he became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so we look to the cross and, and we see where God with us became sin for us that we might be delivered. And, and, and actually in Colossians 1.13, I love it, it says this, that he has delivered us from the power of darkness, and catch this out, he has conveyed us to the kingdom, into the kingdom of his son, of his love. See, it is in Christ now where we experience God literally translates us. He moves us from the darkness. We, we are under the realm and the rule of sin into the kingdom of his son. And you see, we find comfort even, our, even in our dark days of despair now because we know that we can experience eternity with him. That nothing can separate us from the love of God. That nothing can separate us from his presence that there will be no darkness in his presence for eternity. You see, I realized that before I even entered this sin-fallen world, God desired to be, that I be with him. And so this is just, this is the life between the two bookends, isn't it? As we walk through the darkness. Because do this, let's go to the end of the book. Look, look in chapter 22 of Revelation isn't it cool that, that through the testing of life, one pastor always said that through the testing of life, um, we have an open book test and we can just look to the back of the book for the answers. And it's so true, but in chapter 22, 
Let's read together, starting with verse 3, and, and we'll end here with this. In Revelation 22, verse 3, it says, And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it. And his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. Now catch this. It says, There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun. For the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And so what's the answer, (laughs) even in our dark days of despair now? Sure, God can choose to deliver us from this circumstance currently, but our only hope is to know that it's Christ who came to save us from our sin that each one of us have committed. And, And unless you're found and I'm found in Christ, there's no hope. We're still under the realm and the reign of darkness. But for those of us tonight who are in Christ, take heart, take comfort. The hope for a Christian is not just um, feel-good pep talks, but it's the reality of God's truth. And whatever darkness you may find yourself in today, or maybe in the future, or maybe it's a friend who's going through it, Encourage them with the gospel that in the end, there's no need for light because we'll be in the presence of his light forevermore. Amen? So Father, we thank you for these truths. Lord, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we pray tonight if there's any one of us here, Lord, in this room, um, Lord, just even want to think about what we started off service with as Beck prayed or it's something that we're holding on to, some sin that we're keeping hidden in the dark, that we would bring it to the light. God, that you could bring healing and and restoration. Lord, and I pray, um, Lord, just for the circumstances that um, some of us, Lord, may be finding ourselves in tonight. Lord, that our our heart would just um, grasp the reality of your, your word, God, of your hope for us. Lord, and that we would remind ourselves that you sent your son. Lord, you demonstrated your love for us by sending him. Lord, in our darkest days, in our sin, or to die in our place, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, and may our lives, um, and Lord, may our mouths, may, may, may our lives testify of you. God, and we don't want to just... Um, skim through this life or just um, looking to get to the other side. But Lord, would you use us, Lord, even in the difficulties that we walk through to be a witness to others around us. And so Lord, we thank you and God, we thank you um, for saving us, Lord. We thank you that our sins have been forgiven and that you've clothed us with your righteousness. So we love you, Lord, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.